turn over to Acts 20. Acts 20, we're going to turn over there today, and we're going to keep reading today anyway about Paul's third missionary journey. There are primarily, after you get to the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, that's kind of where the book of Acts shifts to around the end or middle of Acts chapter 13, as we start reading about the church of Antioch, and then we read about Paul and Barnabas being sent out on their first missionary journey. The book of Acts kind of shifts focus to the Apostle Paul. And so we spent a lot of time talking about that first missionary journey, the second missionary journey. Now, the last few weeks, probably the last month, we've been talking about the third missionary journey of Paul. And of course, Luke is on that missionary journey with him and has been on the second missionary journey, now the third. And so he is recording exactly what he sees. He writes the book of Acts. And so we get a first-hand account through Luke writing down what we see. And for the most part, that third missionary journey takes place in Ephesus. And Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesus, over two years there. And he spends time there building the church. And the church of Ephesus, it becomes probably the most prominent church in Paul's day. And it is con it continued even after Paul's day to be a prominent church with incredible pastors I mean, we know the Apostle John pastored the church of Ephesus, so did Timothy. He pastored that church, so it had some pretty good leaders, some pretty good pastors. And, of course, the Apostle Paul started it on this missionary journey, just sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we read that primarily in Acts chapter 19. And now we're going to shift to kind of the end of that third missionary journey. And you're going to see kind of what Paul says there as he's wrapping up this journey. And then we're going to shift focus because there's really a fourth missionary journey, even though you wouldn't call it a missionary journey in the sense we think of mission journeys or mission trips. But there really is a fourth missionary journey in the rest of Acts because Paul makes his way to Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome, but he didn't get there the way he wanted to go there because he goes in chains. But even in chains, what do you think the Apostle Paul does? He preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a missionary everywhere he goes. And guess what? That is or shouldn't only be true for the Apostle Paul. It should be true for who? You and me. Because we're all called. And we're all called to do what? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so just like the Apostle Paul was called to be a missionary, so are you. So am I. And we do it wherever God's places. Whether it's in chains, whether it's in prison, whether it feels like you're in prison at a job, whatever it is, you do it wherever you're called to do it. And wherever God places you and plants you, you are a missionary. And so we'll talk more about that as we get later on into the book of Acts. But today, we're going to kind of wrap up, probably not today, but the next two weeks, we're going to wrap up Paul's third missionary journey. So if you have your Bible there, we're going to start reading uh, in verse 7 of Acts chapter 20. And so this one is self-serving for me. I love these verses. You probably don't know them because we don't talk about them, but I love them. But I'll ask a question before I read them. Okay, you got to be honest, and you got to answer this one. You don't just get to answer this one in your heart. Okay, you got to answer this one. Raise of hands. Who in here has ever fallen asleep in church? Okay, is anybody going to say they've never fallen asleep in church? Never? Never. Okay, I'm not going to comment, but I'm just going to say this. You better not fall asleep in church after I read this. Because this is what I'm praying if you fall asleep in church right here. Okay, 
Let's read it. Look. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we... Now, who's writing this? Luke. So we, that's why he can say that. We gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Don't ever in your life say, I've preached a long sermon. I have not ever preached till midnight. Never done it in my life, so don't say it. Verse 8, the upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on. Okay, have you ever felt like that listening to somebody preach? Boy, I have. As Paul spoke on and on, this is a fault he must have had, a young man named Eutychus sitting on a windowsill became very drowsy. Finally, he fell not just asleep, he fell sound asleep, and he dropped three stories to his death below. Okay, now, Remember, who's writing this? Luke. What did Luke do for a job? What was his profession? He was a doctor. So if someone would have known this boy was dead, who would have known it? He fell to his death. Paul preached him to death. That's what he literally did. I mean, he did. So don't think Paul is all great and mighty. He preached somebody to his death. But I guess Paul's better than me because look what happens. Look at verse 10. Paul went down. Literally, the Greek says here, he laid over him. Our text says bent over him or knelt over him, but he laid over him, took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. Then they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper, and ate together. Paul continued talking to them until dawn, and then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. Now, that's a funny story, but that's a miraculous story. I mean, I know we read this some in the Bible, but we don't read this a lot. How many people are risen from the dead in God's Word? I mean, there's some. I mean, Jesus raised how many people from the dead? Three. Okay, so Bible trivia time. Do you all want to know this? But three, who are they? So we know Lazarus, right? John 11, he called Lazarus out of the grave. I mean, what about the widow's son? Okay, what about Jairus' daughter? Okay, so there's three. Okay, we know in the book of Acts, we see some people raised from the dead. Peter prays for, you ought to remember this name, Dorcas. I call my kids that all the time, Dorcas. But he raised Dorcas from the dead. Okay, who was dead himself? I believe Paul was dead. He was stoned to death, the Bible says. The church prayed over him and he came back to life. Now we have Eutychus who falls out of a window and... I never, I'll never forget this. I heard a preacher say this a long time ago, how you can remember this name if you ever want to remember this name. If you would have fallen out of the three-story window, you would cuss too. So Eutychus. Eutychus, that's how you remember his name. But Eutychus was raised from the dead, right? And this is a miracle. We don't even talk about it. I guess because maybe Paul didn't want us to think about it. He preached somebody to death. But it is an amazing story. But I guess Paul had a lot to say. 
He just kept on preaching. So Sunday, if I preach over 30 minutes, nobody better say a word or I'm going to read this text every time. Every time. But that is a great story. But that's not the focus of our story today. Keep reading because this is what happens next. And this is interesting, verse 13. It says, Paul went by land to Essos, where he had arranged for us to join him while we traveled by ship. Okay, now good question. Why did Luke and Paul's other traveling companions go by ship and he went by land? Well, this is probably a way to keep him from being killed. I mean, think about... Paul, everywhere he goes, people want to kill him. They're rioting everywhere he goes. Did they have a riot in Ephesus? Yeah. Did they have a riot in Corinth and Athens and everywhere else? There was always people that wanted to kill the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where God is at work, who else is at work? Satan is at work. And so they're trying to kill him. So this is kind of spy games, I guess, but they're literally trying to keep Paul safe. And that's why he went by land and the others went by ship. But verse 14, this is what happened. He joined us there and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day we crossed to the island of Samos. And a day later we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus. For he did not want to spend any more time in the province of Asia, because he was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. Okay, now, why do you think Paul had to sail past the island of Ephesus and not spend any more time there? Well, now remember, he had been there for two years. And we saw, probably last week, a lot of people came to faith in Jesus Christ in Ephesus. There was a great awakening or a revival in the city of Ephesus. A great awakening. Now, they had a riot after that, but there was an awakening before that. So the church was established, and Paul preached in the church over and over for two years and basically pastored or shepherded or eldered that church for two years. Do you think he knew a lot of people in Ephesus? Do you think a lot of people would want to spend time with him if he stopped in Ephesus? Do you think he would ever get to Jerusalem, especially in time for the festival of Pentecost, if he stopped in Ephesus? Never. Okay, this is the reason I don't go to Walmart. No, no, I hate Walmart. That's the reason I don't go to Walmart. But I can't go to Walmart without talking to people. I can't do it. So Paul, if he stopped there and stayed there, he would stay there a long time. He just would. And so it's reality. So he was not going to go there because he wanted to get to Jerusalem. Now we think this is around 57 AD. We think that's the year this took place. Now, good question, another Bible trivia for you. When would the festival of Pentecost be? What time of year would it be in? Well, penta, what does that mean? If you know math, it's 50, okay? So Pentecost is always 50 days after what? Passover. Okay, so this is sometime Mayish time frame. So late spring basically is when this would have been in AD 57. And he's trying to get there for the festival of Pentecost. So even though he doesn't stop there, he does something else. This is what he does in verse 17. He sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. 
Okay. Now just real quick, and it probably won't be quick the way I do it, but I just want you to think just a minute about his audience here, because I do think this is important, especially kind of in our church context in America and really church context around the world, because I think of people screw a lot of things up in the Bible, and I think this is one of them. Uh, Paul calls a group of people from Ephesus to meet him on this little island about, or on this little seacoast about 30 miles south of Ephesus. And who does the Bible specifically say he calls to come meet him? The elders of the church. Okay, now why did he call the elders of the church to come meet him? What are the elders supposed to do after Paul talks to them and shares with them? Then they go back to the church and do what? Share it. Okay. Now let's just talk a minute about elders and who these guys were and are, even today. And so to do that, go down to verse 28. And let, just let me show you something. This is verse 28, because this is the same speech. He's talking to the same group, okay? So he says here, So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. Okay, the word there used to the same group of people that Paul is talking to is not elder. What do you think the word used there is if he's talking to people who shepherd and feed God's flock? The word's pastor. It's poeme, poenain, pastor. Okay, so we have elders, we have pastors here, and then he keeps going. So shepherd the flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. Okay, now there's another word that's used in church world for leader, and that would be the word we use in English, which would basically be overseer or bishop. Okay, so we have bishop, we have pastor, and we have elder. But is Paul talking to different people, or is he talking to one group of people? He's talking to one group. Now, who did he call to come and listen to him that we just read? He called the elders of the church. But in that group, the elders of the church... Are they also pastors and are they also overseers? Yeah, they are. Okay, these aren't three groups of people or these aren't three people and one of them's an elder and one of them's an overseer and one of them's the pastor. They are all one and the same. Okay, just think religiously, just think denominationally for a minute. Do we have groups that kind of segment these into different people or different segments? Of course we do. Okay, what do you think the word in Greek for elder is? It's the word presbyteros. Okay, where do you think we get from that word? What denomination do you think comes from that word? Presbyterian. Okay. So here's another one for you. And later on in verse 28, he talks there about an overseer or a bishop. The Greek word for that is episkopos. So what group do you think comes from that? Episcopalian. Okay, so we like giving people titles and we like segmenting people out and we like giving people different jobs because I guess it makes us feel important. 
But these are not titles in a group of people, in a body of believers, in a church. This is not titles. These are tasks given to people that God has called to do them. Okay? I believe people are called out to be elders and pastors and overseers. But they're one in the same. These are tasks I've been given as a pastor, as an elder, as an overseer. Because they are different tasks. Right? What do you think an overseer does? I mean, if you break down the word, it literally is where we get a word for like telescope. Okay, what does someone do that's looking through a telescope? They're looking over something, right? They're seeing over something. They're casting vision for a group. Okay? What is an elder? I mean, just think about it logically. The word elder, usually an elder is whom? Someone who's older, number one, right? If you're an elder, you're older. Okay, what usually is associated with age? Biblically and just in society. Wisdom. Okay, wisdom, knowledge. Okay, so an elder is one with wisdom. A pastor, a shepherd, literally is what he's doing to a flock. What's he doing? He's shepherding a flock. What does a shepherd do for a flock? Well, he has to feed a flock. Sheep ain't going to find food on their own. You got to feed them. What do you think I'm doing right now? God's word. What do we do? I mean, what has Paul said that he would do for the church? He said, I wanted to give you meat, but I had to give you milk because you weren't ready for meat. I mean, that's food, right? He uses, they use this all the time biblically. Okay, so you feed the flock. You have to protect the flock. We're going to see that. Paul talks about that specifically later in Acts chapter 20. You protect the flock from false teaching. You protect the flock from influences that come in that try to undermine God's word. And then you also lead the flock. And you lead them... Two green pastures, two still waters. Anybody like Psalm 23? You lead them to food. And so that's what a pastor, that's what a shepherd does. And people who have been called to lead a group of believers, a family of faith, a body, do all those things. Or they should do all those things. They're not segmented out into titles. I hate titles. I hate them. I think they're stupid, especially in the church. Did Jesus lead with a title? How did Jesus lead? He didn't lead with a title. He led with a towel, literally, right? Go read John 13. I mean, he served, right? He served people. And that's how he led. And so when we get to setting all these hierarchies in the church and garbage like that, it is the stupidest thing in the world. Because it leads to pride, number one. And then it leads to division, number two. And so, we can talk about denominations if you want to. I mean, Baptist does the same thing with garbage as well. But it shouldn't be done that way. In the church, denominationally, however you want to define it. It should not be done that way. So that was probably a soapbox for one sentence, but... I think it's important in the day in which we live. I really do think it's important. So we'll kind of go back there. But he called for the elders. And the reason he called for the elders to come and to listen to them is because he really did have something important to tell them. And this is what he wanted to declare to them. 
So look at verse 18. He says, When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot on the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work. And how did he do it? Humbly and with many tears. Now boy, wouldn't that be a blessing if we could say that about people in the church. From leaders all the way down. I did it with humility and with tears. You know the reason established churches don't reach anybody for Christ? And why we have to plant new churches? And why we have to plant them to reach people with the gospel to see more baptisms? Do you know why? Right here. Because for whatever reason, when the church is established and over time, people take positions and they think they're bigger and better than they really are. And we don't have humility and we sure don't have tears for lost people who are dying and going to hell. That's why. God needs to break our pride. And Paul says there, even though we started the church, I came with humility and with tears. Not only that, I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. And he did that over and over and over again. And we've seen that all the way through his three missionary journeys. I love this. Look at verse 20. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. Then verse 21, I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to know what the Apostle Paul preached over and over and over again, right here it is. And he preached it publicly and he preached it in homes. Now, what does that mean? Well, just think about it logically from the book of Acts perspective. I mean, when he would preach publicly, we know everywhere he went, every new city he went to, where would he always start? He would go to the synagogue and he would preach there first. Now, was that a public place, a public venue? Yes. Some places they actually had a building. Some places they didn't have a building. So what would he do? He would go to the most logical place where they would have a synagogue, which was a gathering of Jews, basically, and they would go to the riverbank. Remember when he did that in Philippi? Okay, so he would always look for a synagogue to preach the gospel publicly. But then he would go on the streets, like we read in uh, just last week in 19. He went to the Hall of Tyrannius to preach publicly and to debate day after day. And so he would evangelize and he would preach the necessity to repent of your sins and have faith in God. But then he would go house to house. What does that mean? Well, that's different churches. That's church the way they did it. House church. Did they have the First Baptist Church of Ephesus at that point? I mean, they were, he had only stayed there two years. So all the churches met in homes. And so he went house to house doing what? Preaching and teaching and feeding the flock. That's what the Apostle Paul did. He fed them over and over and over again. And when he did it, did he preach to them what they wanted to hear? No, he didn't. Did he preach to them what the world was saying? Did he scale it back so that it wouldn't be offensive to everyone? No. What does he say there? He says, I never shrank back. I never shrank back from telling you not what you wanted to hear, 
but what you needed to hear. Now again, do you want to know another problem in the church? Why the church isn't reaching the lost? And why the established church is dying in America? This is it. Because pastors are scared to stand up and to tell people what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. Amen? I don't care. It's amen, 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 amen. That's what's happening in America. We need people to preach repentance, especially in America, and faith in God. And the Apostle Paul did it. And just listen to what he says later to another man who's going to pastor this same church, by the way. The church at Ephesus. The end of his life, later on, just before he is beheaded in Rome, where he finally gets to, he writes a letter to Timothy, one of his traveling companions, on these last two missionary journeys. In 2 Timothy 3 and 4, I'm not going to read them all, but listen to what he says, talking to Timothy. He says to Timothy, Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. Now, who taught Timothy these things? Paul did, but somebody else did too. Yeah, his mom and grandmom did. Okay? And so, Timothy has been with Paul a long time now, and he's been on missionary journeys. And do you think he was with Paul when he went house to house, preaching and teaching, and never shrinking back from what he needed to tell the people and what they needed to hear? He was with him, so he's heard, he's been taught. So, Timothy, remember the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from trusting Christ. Then this is verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right God uses it to prepare and to equip His people to do every good work. Why do you think I preach the Word of God to you? That's why I preach the Word of God to you and only the Word of God to you. Because it prepares you to do what God has called you to do and to equip you. That's what Paul is saying here. And then listen, he goes on in chapter 4, which it shouldn't be broken up, but it is in our Bible. He says, I solemnly urge you, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when He comes to set up His kingdom. Preach the Word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome doctrine. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, they will reject the truth and they will chase after lies. Boy, if there's ever a day where that verse is becoming reality, it's in our day. You know why? Because we're living in the last days. 
We're living in days where people will not listen to sound and wholesome and truthful doctrine. They don't want the Word of God, and they'll even say it's not the Word of God anymore. And they will say things like this, well, some of it is God's Word, some of it is not. You've got to understand the context it was written in, and we live in a different context. Balarky, balarky, balarky. This is God's Word, and it never changes because He never changes. No matter how many times you change, our culture changes. Amen? I don't care if you say amen. Amen, amen, amen. This is what people need to hear. And this is the only thing that people need to hear in the church. And pastor, don't preach this. They should be run out of town. That's what should happen to them. But they're not run out of town. Do you know why? They're given a lot of money to do it. And they're set up on a pedestal and told how great they are because that's what people want to hear. They have itching ears and they have desires separate from God's Word. And why do you think we need to preach repentance because they need to repent of that sin. That's why. And so if I ever stop preaching the Bible, run me out of town. Run me out of here. Because you don't need me. Because you need God's Word. That's what you need. And so that's what the Apostle Paul's saying. And he was faithful to do that. Thank God he was faithful to do that. And thank God for others who are faithful to do that. Thank God for that. You might not like it because you might not like what it says. But you need it. You need to hear it. Because it's God's word. Amen? Amen. I can go on that forever. But I'll get off of it. But just go back. He says there that I've had one message, which is repenting of sin and turning to God and having faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, I won't talk about that because I talk about it all the time. But that's just the good news of the gospel. That's salvation. Because what has to happen for you to be saved, you got to repent of your sins and you got to have faith, right? I mean, that's what you got to do. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, well, if Jesus becomes your Lord, some things change in your life, right? It means you've got to turn from one way and you've got to turn to follow Him. He's now the boss of your life. He is the Lord of your life. He rules your life. That's what Lordship does. And so you can't be living in your sin and walking in the direction of your flesh. You've got to turn to Him. That's repentance. And then what else do you got to do? You've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. What is belief? It's faith. Faith in God's Word and faith in what God has done through Christ Jesus. So what Paul preached was just the gospel, the good news, over and over. And he preached it to the church over and over and again because we need to hear the gospel over and over again. Because guess what? We'll forget it. So that's just reality. So that's what he preached, and he never shrank back from doing it. But keep going. Look at verse 22. He says, But now I am bound by the Spirit. Now think about that. The Holy Spirit of God, Paul, is bound to him. That's a great just visual illustration of what our lives are supposed to be like in Christ, in Christ's Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit and we're to walk in the Spirit in such a way that we're bound wherever He goes, we're going with Him because we're tied to Him at the hip. A lot of times in our lives we're going in opposite directions, right? The Holy Spirit's leading us here, but our flesh does what? Leads us there. But Paul here says he is bound by the Holy Spirit of God. And what is the Holy Spirit of God calling him to do? To go to Jerusalem. That's why he doesn't stop in Ephesus. That's why he doesn't spend and waste any time in Ephesus. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God's not leading him there. He's leading him to Jerusalem. 
But keep reading. This is even more amazing. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in the city, in Jerusalem, that in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. Okay, now, I know we like it when the Holy Spirit and when God speaks to us. But I don't want Him to speak that into my life. How about you? I mean, this is prophetic, by the way. As we keep reading, the Holy Spirit of God is prophesying over Paul's life what's going to happen to him the rest of his life. What's going to happen to him the rest of his life? Jail and suffering, basically. That's what's going to happen. I mean, think about that. But yet, what is he willing to do? He's bound by the Holy Spirit to go to suffering and to jail. Now just think this in context with some other characters in the Bible. What about Jonah? Okay, Jonah didn't have the Holy Spirit of God, but the Bible says God spoke to him. And what did he speak to him? Go to the great city of Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? Maybe not. And he literally ran the opposite direction. He got on a boat sailing to the ends of the earth, in his mind anyway, all the way to Spain. That's where he was going. Let's get out of here. Because he knew what awaited him. Nineveh was an evil, wicked place. And he didn't know if he was going to die. He didn't know if they were going to kill him, if they were going to persecute him, if they were going to throw him in jail. He didn't know. Now, in the end, we do know what he knew. He knew God well enough to know that God was going to save the city and he didn't want it. But he didn't know what was going to happen in between, right? He didn't know that. But Paul was bound to the Holy Spirit. Whether it meant suffering, whether it meant jail, whether it meant death. He was going where he was called to go. Why? Keep reading. Verse 24. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Keep reading. Verse 25. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. But I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, literally, if anyone goes to hell, it is not my fault, for I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. Boy, what a statement right there in those two verses. My life is worth nothing to me. I am going to finish the race. Paul talks about a race a lot through the epistles in the New Testament. But I just want you to look at that last part there. He says, people aren't going to hell because of me. And literally, I'm not going to be judged because of that. The reality is for those of us that God has called to be an elder, bishop, pastor, however you want to classify it, 
We're going to be judged because of what we preach and what we share. I mean, I'm going to be judged one day. I'm going to be judged in a way that you're not going to be. And do you want to know why I preach the Bible and only the Bible? That's why. Because I'm going to be judged. And I'm going to be judged on this basis. Are people suffering eternal death because I didn't shrink back and share the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or did I in fear sometimes not? I mean, that's the responsibility, whether you know it or not. And so I want to make sure when I preach that I preach God's word and nothing else. So I'm very careful about that. But here's something you need to think about as well. Because as Baptists who believe the Bible, we believe in something called the priesthood of the believer. So what does that mean about you? Yeah, you're a priest, by the way. <laughs> we don't categorize it. So real carefully, I want you to examine your life. And I want you to think about Paul's last statement there. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. For I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants them to know. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? Maybe for you that has not been true in your life. But guess what? Your race is not over yet. You haven't finished it. How do I know? Because you're still breathing and you're still sitting in this room. Amen? Amen. So you can finish the race well. And you can finish the race stating the same thing the Apostle Paul states here. I am not going to shrink back from sharing the truth that people need to hear. And what is that? Repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. That's the truth they need to hear. So share that truth with people in your life, with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, those where God has placed you, wherever He has placed you to be a missionary, declare that truth. So one day when you stand before Jesus Christ and He judges you, and He will according to His Word, you can say with the Apostle Paul, it is not my fault. I did what I was called to do. I did what I was called to do. So how is that possible? You better be bound by the Spirit of God to do it. Because in and of yourself, you ain't going to have strength to do it. Amen? But according to Jesus Christ, He'll, through the Spirit, give you that strength and even give you the words to say when you don't even know what to say. So do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And understand that your life is worth nothing apart from Christ Jesus. Make Him known because that's what we've been called to do. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you.